it is so fun just to be overflowing with praise for you. You are so worthy of all of our praise, of all of our adoration. And Father, today as we gather here, God, we come with different stories. We come with different things going on in our lives. And so, Father, now, as we dig into your word, God, may you speak to us. May you reveal a, a nugget of truth in our lives, God, that you want us to hear. God, may we leave here as changed people. May you impact us. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, why don't you give someone a high five as you grab a seat? scoot over here a little bit. My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here, and, and uh, it's a pleasure just to be able to share with you this morning. And um, uh, we're talking about a fence. And so I don't know about you, but I know that maybe there's a few of you here that, that you get lost in Distractagram or Fakebook. Like you sit down on your couch, and, and you just get so wrapped up in needing to know what's going on in everyone's lives. And as you were sitting on your couch recently, you're reading your phone, and, and you realize that some of your friends had just checked in at your favorite restaurant. And as you sit there, the offense just starts to rage in your heart because they're there without you. And in your mind, you start to rationalize and say, well, you know what? The last time I was at that restaurant, the food wasn't that good anyway, so it's okay. But as you sit there, the more that you think about what they're doing and the fact that they're without you, the spirit of offense starts to grow in your heart and in your mind. And what happens is as you start to think more and more about the fact that they're there, instead of rolling off the fact that you had been ignored, instead of rolling off the fact that they didn't invite you, you get self-righteous in your indignation. And the first picket of offense goes up in your heart, and you get a little bit angry. Or what about this? It's interesting. Is the reason that it's so hard for us to be happy, is it's so easy for us to get offended. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. But in the moment when you feel left out, in the moment when someone says or does something to you that's offensive, it's so hard to overlook that offense. What about this one? You were doing good with your choices. I mean, you had been dieting, you had been doing so well, in fact, so much so that you were glad to get to go shopping. And you went shopping, you got a brand new outfit, and you thought you looked stunning. It was a great day. You were radiating with joy. Everything seemed to be going so well. Until she came up to and she asked you that question. And you couldn't believe that she, of all people, would ask you that question. And as she looked at you and she asked that question, just a rage inside of you started to go. As she leaned into you with an innocence in her tone and she said, have you put on a little weight? Are you pregnant? And in that moment, instead of realizing that she was trying to be sweet, she was trying to notice something in your life, 
right then you hold on to that plank. And right then in that moment, the picket of a fence goes up and another one goes in your life. And this time, you can't believe. You can't believe that she would say something as insulting as that. And your sensitive little heart is just feeling so terrible. Do you know what group of people are known most for being the most offended? You're sitting in the midst of them. It's Christians. Not this church, though. Nobody gets offended here. It's the other church down the road, right? It's interesting that it's Christians who seem to get the offended the most. See, we're the group of people that are supposed to be known for forgiveness and love, but we're often the last people that want to give it to someone else when they offend us. And I don't know what it is that gets you offended as a Christian. Maybe you get offended with other Christians. And you see how other Christians are splitting hairs differently than you split in your mind. And so instead of saying, wow, they're still changing people's lives, you get self-righteous. You stub your nose and you say, no, my way is the only way. Or maybe as a Christian, in your moment of offense, you look at other people that would never walk into a church like this, and you look at the way that they live their lives, and you say, you know what? They do everything wrong. And in your self-righteousness and your indignation towards the way that they act, you come across as so judgmental that as a result of your offense, as a result of the way that you interact or look down upon them, there is no way that they would ever walk into a place like this. See, our spirit of offense impacts our lives in so many different ways. It comes in so many different directions. But one offense at a time, one thought, one lie that we allow to soak deep into our hearts, one time where we look at someone else and we think that we're better than them or that they say something that offends us, even as a Christian, one more picket goes up in our hearts, one more goes up in our lives. What about this one? You were gathering together with your family and it was Easter and you were having an amazing meal. All the families gathered around the table and your husband says it. You know, men, we say stupid things sometimes, don't we? And here's what your husband says. He looks across the table to his mother trying to paint her a compliment. And he says, Mom, no one, no one makes mashed potatoes as good as you do, Mom. Mother, other people try, but no one makes mashed potatoes as good as you do. And as the wife who has cooked for years for that said man... Instead of rolling off the compliment he tried to pay to his mother, you allow it to go from your ear to your heart, and like that, the thoughts in your mind are, you're right, and no one will make you mashed potatoes like your mother ever again. <laughs> and here's what happens. Instead of rolling it off, instead of your, seeing your husband just trying to, to be kind to his mother, you hold on to that offense. And instead of, of seeing your husband as a kind and loving guy, you allow that just to drill right into your heart. You allow it to hit you in a place where the next time he says something, you automatically take offense because of what he said the last time. See, the seeds of offense come to us in all kinds of different directions. In fact, you never know when it's going to hit you. Over these last few days, I tried to count how many opportunities I had to be offended. 
I stopped counting in the morning because there were so many of them. Whether you're at the grocery store standing in line, whether you're driving down the road, or whether you're with your family, it seems like the opportunities of offense come at you in so many different directions. What about this? You're at your workplace, and out of nowhere, your boss calls you into their office. And you're sitting there thinking, you're like, wait a minute, I care more than some of the other people. I even put in overtime and didn't ask to be paid. And as you sit there, and your boss just starts to talk about some things that they would like to see you improve upon. In that exact moment, the spirit of offense, the picket of offense just goes right up. And all of a sudden, it becomes a block where you don't hear anything else that your boss has to say. Because all that you're hearing from your boss in that moment is that you, that you of all people would need to improve. And so instead of hearing the compliments, instead of hearing the nice, kind things about what an asset you are to the organization, all you hear is the offense. And you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it over and over in your mind. See, the thing that you have to understand is that the closer the relationship, the more apt we are to be offended. Because the closer that we are to people, the more we are allowing them to get into places of our lives and places in our hearts that we don't allow other people to ever go into. For there's no way a perfect stranger would get to know me the way that my spouse or my children know me. And as a result, we allow those people's voices, those people's perspectives to speak so much louder and to mean so much more to us in our lives. And without even noticing it, all of a sudden we allow one offense after another, after another, after another to build up in our hearts and build up in our lives where now we have a fence of offense. You guys were going over to some friend's house. And as you were driving over there, you prayed. You hoped. And you said, please, God, let them not be there. And as you drove up in front of the house, you looked on the street. You looked in the driveway for their car. And you didn't see it. And you said, oh, please, God, answer my prayer. And as you go into the house, the first thing that you do is you scan the room. And in the moment you see them, the butterflies that were in your stomach now turn into this turning, miserable feeling in your belly, and you have this lump inside your throat. For this time, it wasn't that they offended you, but you offended them. And you knew how hurtful you had been. You knew the words that you had said, and you knew the way that it had impacted them. But you also knew that you hadn't asked for forgiveness. You also knew that you hadn't gone to them and they hadn't come to you. What the people didn't know there is the prison that you were living in. They didn't know the shame that was going through your mind. They didn't know the disappointment and the way that you felt so awkward as you showed up there. What they didn't know is that you were living behind a fence of offense. And as you went to that party and you saw them across the room, you saw everything through all of the different offenses that you've given and that you've received. The fence of offense represents so much in so many people's lives. See, here's the thing, is one offense doesn't seem like that much. Being overlooked on an invite, having someone say something stupid, it doesn't seem like much. But one, one offense after another, after another, after another, after another, 
when going, going unchecked, when going without off asking for forgiveness, piles up in such a way where all of a sudden, instead of seeing life like this, vibrant and open and welcoming, you live in your own prison of offense. And your own prison of offense is holding you back. It's keeping you from having relational intimacy. It's keeping you from being known. And even worse than all of that is it's keeping you and your relationship with God from growing to its fullest. I don't know which story of all the ones that I shared you resonate with. I don't know if I shared your story as I was adding fences to my, pickets to my fence of offense. But I do know this. We all have our own stories. We all have our own stresses. We all have the different things that we have allowed to grow in our hearts that now represent in our fence of offense. And what I know even more so is that even though your story might be different, the emotions are the exact same. We've all dealt with offenses in our lives, and we've all seen how slowly, one at a time, the offense grows and grows and grows. So friend, what about you? How have you been offended lately? In your life, as you look at this fence of offense, what offenses are represented in your life? What did they say to you? How did it impact your heart? What did you do to someone else that impacted them? And why haven't you asked for forgiveness yet? The title of my message this morning is Fences and Offenses. Because as we look at life, as we look at all that we deal with, in reality, the more often we get offended, the more often our lives look like offense. So this morning in your bulletins, you have a card that I left right down here. Right here. And in your bulletin is, is this one little card. Could you pull it out right now? It says, fence and offense. It's pretty. And what I want you to do is I want you to flip on the back side of it. It's the moment ago when I asked you what offense you're holding on to. Who have you offended or how did it impact your heart? What I want you to do right now is write that down. Maybe as I ask that question, you can remember like that, a situation, a time recently where someone just offended you. Or maybe as I start talking about it, there's something that's bigger. There's a person that constantly inter in offends you. Well, write it down. What's the situation? If the person's sitting next to you right now, then use a code word. It's okay. They won't know. This is between you and God. And here's what I want you to do is once you've written it on, on that little card, just set it aside. We're going to come back to it later in our time um, together this morning. See, as I shared earlier, the, the thing about offenses is they come in all kinds of different directions. And on their own, offenses don't typically seem like enough to build up offense and create division in our lives. But one unforgiven offense at a time. One passive-aggressive slight here. One sarcastic gut punch there. Something you said or did out of anger. It slowly builds up to a prison of hurtful words and actions that hold you back. That hold you back from being known. That hold you back from healing. And hold you back from growing in your relationship with God. What hostage, what prison, or f what prison do you feel hostage in today? 
Matthew chapter 5, um, Jesus gives the greatest sermon ever given where he challenged conventional wisdom of the people then just as much of us today. So if you have your Bibles, if you'd open them up with me to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 21 through 26 today. It's also on your outline on the back side if you want to follow along there or they'll throw it up on the screen in just a second. We'll break it down a verse at a time. First verse, verse 21 of Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Let me stop right there for just a second. See, those that were present in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount would have completely understood the teaching in verse 21. When Jesus said, you shall not murder, and that you would be the judgment that's connected to that murder. And see, Jesus was using a way of teaching that rabbis in his day would have used. They would have taken a, a truth that everybody in that area would generally accept, and they'd start there, kind of reel you in a little bit. And then they'd add something a little bit controversial, a little bit different for you to think about, to ponder. And that's exactly what Jesus does here when he takes another step, when we see in verse 22. He says, but I say to you, everyone that is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Hold on. That's a significant statement. For Jesus has now taken one's anger and put it on par, judgment-wise, with murder. In fact, the word that Jesus used here uh, in the text originally was the word orge, which could be described as an anger that is deep-rooted, one that leaves a lasting offense. Said differently, I would describe it as a jab that leaves a bruise, a word that leaves a wound, or anger that leaves one in anguish. The philosopher Cicero said this when speaking of offense. Nothing can be done rightly and sensibly uh, in the eyes of one who is offended. I don't know about you, but when you wrote down on that card a couple of minutes ago, I doubt whatever you wrote there you thought was on par with murder. You probably were thinking about ways that someone has hurt you, ways that someone has offended you, but you didn't view it as murder. But it's interesting. While that offense might not be physical murder, the effects can be the same emotionally. For offensive offense slowly sucks your joy. It slowly divides you from others and having an opportunity for relational intimacy. And over time, it holds you back. It blocks you. It divides you from having a true connection with Almighty God. And as a result of holding on to your offenses, as a result of seeing everything through that lens, you see your entire worldview, you view yourself, and often you view God through the pickets of offense. Jesus continues by giving two examples how offensive speech leads to anger or offense in the second part of verse 22. Listen to what it says. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Let me read it, not out of the ESV translation, but out of the NIV translation, and listen to what it says. It says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. On your outline today, will you write in, I put a little line there, will you write the word Raka there in verse 22? For to tell someone, or to call someone Raka, could be the most offensive thing that you could call someone in Jesus' day. For to call someone raka, you were in essence calling the person a brainless idiot, 
a silly fool, an empty-headed blunderer. The word raka was almost an untranslatable word, a word that describes the meaning not just behind the word, but the tone, the language, the body language of what you had as you spoke to that person. In essence, when you were to call someone raka, you were using an arrogant tone. You were speaking with such contempt. So to be called a raka was the ultimate in offense. Jesus goes on to say, Whoever says you fool will be liable of the hell of fire. The word that Jesus uses here for fool is the word morose. And that word, if you were to describe it or define it, it describes someone who is dull or stupid or a blockhead. I don't know how many people would not be offended if you were to be described as a dull, stupid blockhead. But that's exactly what someone in Jesus' day would have responded if they would have been called a raka or a morose or a fool. And Jesus was saying to them just as much as he's saying to you and I, that anyone that offends, anyone that says something that hurtful is liable to the most severe judgment of all, the fire of hell or the fire of Gehenna. See, for those that were in Jesus' audience there, the word Gehenna would have been a word that they knew exactly what he was talking about. For the word Gehenna had a history about it. It described the Valley of Hinnom, which was an area just outside of Jerusalem. In King Ahaz's day, they would use this area as a place of child sacrifice, where literally those precious little ones would be burned. When King Josiah took over after King Ahaz, he ended that entire practice, and he described that area as being accursed, and that it should be segregated or pushed aside. Fast forward into Jesus' day, all those people view that as a terrible place, a place non grata, do not go there. And so as a result, it became what in essence was a public incinerator or a place where all of the garbage went. In fact, in Jesus' day, it was known to have a pail of smoke around it, for it said that the fire never ended there. So Gehenna. The valley of Hinnom became identified in the people's minds with all that was accursed and filthy. The place where useless and evil things were destroyed. And so Gehenna became a synonym for the place of God's destroying power, or what we describe today as hell. See, Jesus was saying that anyone that says to their brother or sister, Raka, morose, you fool was either answerable to the court or a step further and even worse, was in danger of the fire of Gehenna. But here's where it gets interesting for me. Flip the script. Flip the text and look at it from a different perspective. Look at it not from the perspective of the offender, but the offended. See, when you think about the consequences that Jesus is teaching about, who normally experiences most of the consequences of an offense? Is it the offender or is it the offended? Think about it. The ramifications of unforgiven offenses build up in such a way that you never have to go before the court, as verse 22 says. Because by holding on to your anger, by holding on to your offense, you've already sentenced yourself to your own prison. When we allow other people's hurtful words, when we allow other people's hurtful actions, when we allow other people's offenses on us, 
we've already sentenced ourselves to our own hell. We've already sentenced ourselves to our own Gehenna in our hearts and in our minds. What hell of offense are you living in today? As you look at your life, not from a perspective like this, but as you look at your life from a place like this, who offended you? How did it impact your heart? Why is it that when a certain person comes near you, you automatically change the way that you talk? Or why is it that when you receive a text message or a phone call or a message on Facebook from someone, you automatically read into certain things? Who has hurt your heart in such a way that has put you in this type of prison, that is holding you behind a fence of offense and not allowing you to shine and not allowing you to be who God created you to be? Is your offense keeping you from being all that God created you to be? If you look at your outlines this morning, I had this cute and, and clever uh, teaching that I was going to do. And I was going to expand. In fact, you can even see it here. There's this cute little fence there. Our graphics lady did a great job. And I was going to expand and connect the uh, similarities between this fence and your offense. But on Friday, as I was praying and saying, God, is this what you want me to share? As I was praying for you, for who God would bring here this morning, God just burdened me. He burdened me in such a way to say, you know what? It's not about head knowledge. See, I can teach you the head knowledge of it's bad to be offended and, yes, forgiveness. And it can get all right here. And you know what? That's what this teaching would have been. It would have been head knowledge. But what God burdened me in, in an overwhelming fashion was skip the rest of the outline and get it from here and get down to the heart. Because even this morning as I'm sharing with you and I look you guys in the eye and I see even the way some of you squirm in different parts that I share, I know that there are some of you that are living in this prison. There are some of you that are living with a fence of offense in your life and it's holding you back. And so let's scratch the rest of the outline. And let's get to your heart. Because when you really think about an offense, it's in your heart. And if you're going to change, and if you're going to offer forgiveness, and if you're going to see life through this perspective and not that perspective, it begins and ends right here in your heart. See, my heart for you this morning is that you have freedom. My heart for you is that you're not held back any longer by a fence of offense because I don't want to see you living in that hell that holds you back. And why do I know that it holds you back? Because I've been there. I've lived this exact life. I know how it affects the ability to connect with others. I know how it affects being offended, affects your ability to trust others. I know how offensive words and actions just seep deep into your heart and hold you back from being all that God created you to be. I know what it's like to live in such a way that you're hurt, that you're offended. In fact, I had a friend who was so offensive, was so hurtful with his actions and words towards me that it stung so deep in my heart, I didn't know I even had a place in my heart like that. But his words, his actions, they impacted me. They impacted my family. They impacted so many people that I love. I was so offended by his actions, by what happened, 
But remember, it's the offended that are often the ones that are more effective than the offenders. See, this person didn't know the way they had affected me. They didn't know the level of disappointment and hurt that I was struggling with. And, and I get it. I'm a pastor. I probably preached the sermon that says, turn the other cheek. But nothing's harder when you've been offended than to give somebody who just hurt you on this side to say, oh, let me turn the cheek and let me hurt you on that side. That's why Jesus taught it, because it's so hard to live out. And as a result of my offense, I was stuck in my own prison. I was seeing everything through the pickets of a fence of offense. Subconsciously, I thought that if I stayed back here, I thought if I stayed behind the safety of my offense, I thought if I stayed behind my hurt, that I wouldn't be able to get hurt anymore. But do you know what I learned? I learned that nursing your offense, I learned that holding on to whatever someone has hurt you with, that it only hurts you more. And I'm embarrassed to share it. I'm a pastor after all, right? But I'm embarrassed to share. Do you know what was affected the most during my season of offense? It was my worship. It was my connection with God. I mean, I could come to church. I could sing, my, I could sing the songs. But they were just lip language. It was just words that were coming out of here. But they never made it down here. I could read God's word and I could read the words on the page. But my heart was so hardened as a result of my offense that they weren't penetrating in there. And the worst, it's as though the voice of God became silent. Have you ever been there? See, as someone that's offended, the problem isn't that the, it isn't that the voice of God is silent. It's that you're so tuned in to the offense that you're nursing that you miss his still soft voice who's saying, I care, I'm there, I want to help you. Friend, what are you nursing today? What offenses are you holding on to? What pickets have come up in your heart and in your life? Look at verse 23. It says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. And what does it say? What's that two-letter word? Go. Go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. See, those in Jesus' audience that day would have known two things. First of all, they would have known very clearly that an offering did not atone for their sins, meaning that you cannot write a big giant check and get forgiveness of your sins. No, forgiveness of sins, as Scripture says, only comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. But secondly, and I believe more importantly, understanding the historical context of the audience, is that the people in Jesus' audience would have known that in order to give a sacrifice, their sacrifice would need to include a confession of sin and true repentance. For any sacrifice to be valid, confession and restoration were involved. Meaning that before someone could offer a sacrifice, if they got all the way there to the altar and realized that they had something against someone else, that they were supposed to leave it right there at the altar and go. Jesus was quite clear here. We cannot be right with God when we're not right 
with another. So if we're holding on to an offense with someone else, if we're not right with them, whether we haven't offered them forgiveness or they haven't asked for forgiveness from us, if we're not right this way, we can't be right this way. And in my life, in my nursing, my offense, rather than forgiving my offender, I was the one that was hurt. I was the one that was wrong. I didn't do anything to deserve it. He should be coming to me and asking for forgiveness. He wronged me. Do you hear the self-righteousness in the I? Do you hear how we take our offenses and we put them on ourselves? And all of a sudden our offenses, they're not just a picket, but they become our identity. See, by holding on to my offense, I was holding something against him. And if I wasn't right with another, I couldn't be right with God, which was affecting my worship, which was affecting my intimacy with God. Let me make sure you hear this. In order to be reconciled with God, you need to be reconciled with one another. And I'm sad to see today, as I look at many of your faces, I feel like there are some of you here today that your worship is powerless because you aren't reconciled with someone else. And I know there's someone in here today that you've been holding something against a family member for years. And even though you come to church every Sunday, it's still a block in your worship of God. There's others of you who are here today, right now, that you were so offended this last week that you're holding on to that offense. And rightfully so, they were wrong. But as a result of holding on to it, it's affecting your worship. It's holding you back. Let me go back to verse 23. What did he say again? It says, if you're at the altar, what does it say? And you remember that your brother has something against you? Leave your gift at the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Get right with them. See, Jesus doesn't stop there. Look at verses 25 and 26. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Least your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Those in Jesus' audience that day would know that if you were to have an accuse, if you were to accuse someone, you could take them to court. But in the historical context, if you were going to take someone to court, the accused would literally have to bring the accused, the accuser would have to bring the accused with them. See, today, we take someone to court, they send a subpoena, you pray they show up. Imagine the journey of the offender and the offended going to court together. What Jesus says is, don't wait until you get before the judge. What Jesus is saying is, don't wait until the judge makes the decision. The two of you together, right then, figure it out. Solve it. Let go of your hurt. Now, notice that it doesn't say in verse 25, Notice that Jesus doesn't say anywhere in there, Christian, justify your hurt. Nowhere does it say anywhere in there, stand up for your offense, you were wronged. Nowhere does it say in there, sit down and hash out all of your feelings and tell the person all of the list of things that you've held against them for however long you've been holding on to that offense. No, Jesus makes it so clear. He says, Come to terms quickly with your accuser. As I bring it down to one word, Jesus says, forgive. No matter if you're right or wrong, 
no matter how long you've held on to that offense, no matter how much you've been hurt, in order to come to the altar, in order to come to worship without hesitation, in order to leave a sacrifice, you need to be right this way so you can be right this way. Look, I get it. Sometimes the simplest of things to give are forgiveness. It's one of the most difficult things to offer. But yet Jesus offered it to you. He offered it to me. Shouldn't we be willing to give it to others? Let me illustrate the take-home point for you today, kind of put a period on our time together this morning. If you have ever been offended, will you raise your hand? If you have ever been offended, right? Probably everyone. Leave it up, don't put it down, because we all have been offended. Leave it up. And as you have your hand up, think about the way that you were offended. How did it make you feel? Who was that person? What did they do to you? Keep your arms up, keep your arms up. You've been offended, come on. You can't put your arm down that quickly. You've been offended. And just as you have your arm up right now, do you notice that little annoyance right here? You start to feel it. That's what an offense does. At the beginning, it's just a little bit annoying. And you kind of hold on to it, but keep your arm up. I've been wronged. That's what you say when you hold on to the picket of offense. You hold your hand up and you say, you did that to me. You hurt me. You did that to me. And the longer that you have your hand up, what happens is the blood from your fingers is starting to go down your arm right now, right? And you're starting to feel it a little bit more here. And, and certainly maybe some of you are starting to feel it in your shoulder a little bit. And that's what happens with offense. It starts at first with just a little bit of an annoyance. And then now it starts to move where it's a little bit more painful. Where you start to think about it more and more and more. But you've been wronged. They hurt you. You have every right to have your hand up right now. You know what Jesus says? No, you don't. Jesus said, I bought that price at a price. And so let me give you the most simple, most profound lesson of all that I can give you today. Put it down. Put it down. Let it go. Do you notice that as your arm went down, all of a sudden that tingling went down as well? You're kind of feeling the blood that's going back down in your arm going back. Because see, when we hold on to an offense, it sucks the joy out of us. It sucks the life out of us. But when we let it go, when we lay it down, when we drop it, all of a sudden, God starts to work in our heart and our lives. Let me take us all the way back to the beginning. Remember how your friends were going out to lunch and they didn't invite you? Well, instead of allowing that to be an offense, instead of seeing and saying, wow, I'm so glad they're getting together, and taking the moment to pray for them and saying, wow, I want to pray that they have an amazing, encouraging conversation. All of a sudden, when you let it down, it's not quite as big of an issue. Remember when your husband said those things to his mother? Oh my goodness, I can't believe a man would say something so terrible. But when you take and you say, you know what, I'm going to roll it off. I'm not going to worry about it. Remember when that woman said, I can't, are you pregnant? Wow, you're pregnant. Do you remember how insulting that was? You remember how it felt right in your heart? Well, instead of taking an insult and say, wow, that lady wants to know what's going on in my life. I want to be known. And allowing that as an opportunity to build a relationship and, and maybe helping her to understand, that's super rude. <laughs> but instead saying, you know what, I'm going to let it roll off. I'm not going to hold on to it. Or maybe it's, it's something way deeper than that, that you've been holding on to a pain or, or hurt that somebody did to you years ago. 
Maybe you're like me, and you had something, and it's affecting your worship, and you've been holding on to that picket of offense as long as possible. Maybe today your picket of offense needs to come down. And you just say, you know what, I'm not going to hold on to that anymore. I don't know what your story is, but I do know that our God wants to work in our lives and in our stories in such a way where we take those pickets of offense and we lay them down. And we don't hold on to them anymore. Because I don't know about you, I'd much rather be able to look at my life like this, wide open, rather than a prison of offense. And the part that gets me even more, as I move this forward a little bit, is that when you take and you stop looking at things through your lens, when you stop looking at things for the way that you've been offended, and rather you come right here, and you allow that fence of offense to come down, all of a sudden your life frames the cross rather than being so focused in on how you've been hurt. You go all the way back to the beginning. At the very beginning of our time together today, I asked you to fill out that card. And I asked you to write down on that card something or someone or some situation where you've been offended. Who pulled that card out right now? I lost it in the midst of my notes. Here it is. Look at what you wrote down there. What I want to do today is I want to help you to take the first step. Because remember in our teaching today is before you come to offer a sacrifice, before you come to worship, if you're holding something against another, you need to go and get it right. So what I want to do with you today is I want to help you to take that first step towards getting it right. What we're going to do today is we're going to receive a special offering, one in which you keep your pockets and your wallet in your pocket, because today we want to receive your offering of offense. A couple of moments, I'm going to pray. The praise team's going to come up, and the ushers are going to go around, and they're going to pass the offering plate. And what I want you to do today is whatever it is that you wrote down on that card, and maybe even after I shared more this morning, you want to add more, that's totally fine. But what I want you to do as your first step towards forgiveness, towards your first step towards letting down the pickets in your life, I want you to drop it in the offering plate. Now understand this. For some of you, that's the first step. Some of you this week are going to need to pick up the phone. Or you're going to need to go to someone's home. And you're going to need to get right with them so that you can be right with our God. What's going to happen here in just a moment is the praise team's going to come up. We're going to go back to that song that Damon talked about here a few moments ago. And, and just to tell you how our God works, um, Damon planned that song before he ever knew the scripture I was speaking on today. And we're going to go to that song that says, Come to the altar. Before you can come to the altar, you need forgiveness. And even as those words, we sang it before I came up, just penetrate in your heart. Allow them to penetrate again. The last thing that I want to say is I know that there are some of you that think that the moment that the song starts, church is over. Church is just beginning. Okay? So if you're one of those people that you feel like you need to leave, I can tell you for sure, Chipotle will still be open in five minutes. Okay? For those of you that are worried that there won't be donut holes, we held some back. Okay? They'll be out there. Why do I share that? Because some people here need to do business with God. There's some people that are sitting here right now that God has just been stirring their heart in such a way that they need it. And so even if you think that you're above it right now or you have something that's more important, you don't. Allow the Holy Spirit to stir. And don't rob someone else as the Holy Spirit stirs in their life. If you feel so led, even as we sing and you want to come up front, the altar's open. If you want to do business in your seat, do it. The whole goal is that you don't leave here the same as you came. The goal is that you don't walk home with a giant fence still in your heart. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Father God, as I, I hold on to this little card of fence and offense, 
I thank God of where I was not long ago. Holding on to the offense of another. Holding on to the way that one had hurt me. And God, I think about the way it affected my worship. God, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to think about where I was in that season, God. And even as you burdened me months ago to share this message at some point, God, I know that there is somebody here today. And God, I'm sure that it's more than one. There are numbers and numbers of people here today. God, whose worship has been affected as a result of an offense. Who have been walking wounded. So, Father, this morning as we come to the altar, this morning, God, as we come before you, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit stirs. We can offer you our offense, not as just a one-time thing. God, that we will turn. God, we won't go back later today and nurse those wounds. The next week, we won't go back to that same offense. But yet, God, today, as we lay down that card, as we lay it down, God, we say we want to be right with you. We want to worship you, and we want to be right relationally as well. So, Father, I don't know how this message is landing in different hearts. The Holy Spirit just stirred. Free them, Father. We give you our offense. We give you our right to be right. We give you it all. Break down those barriers. Break down that fence. So that, God, we can worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.